morning, Solano Church. My name is Sam Nunez, and I'll be reading the scripture for today. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts that was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days were, there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I sent every man against his neighbor, but now I will not deal with him, the, with the remnant of this people uh, as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For they, there are, shall be a sign of peace, peace. The vine shall give the, its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and O and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. Zechariah eight nine thirteen. All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Sam. Great job. Going to lift this up from the right uh, knob. Last time I did this, I don't know if you guys saw that. I did it from up here and it fell off. All right. It's good to be here this morning. I just want to, um, before we jump in, I just want to address one thing, one item. You'll notice there's a banner out in the lobby for something called Alpha. And so, let me just scoot over. Is this good? Okay. Yeah, here's the X. Okay. We have something called Alpha, which is a um, kind of a small group for anyone who is wanting to explore the Christian faith, wanting to ask questions about it, and wants a safe place to do that. So we're going to be hosting that um, at my house, actually, the when, uh, Wednesday, April 20th. If you have anyone in your life who you think might be interested in that, um, there is a QR code. Just fill out, go um, click on that, you know, get that QR code, pull, pull that up, and let us know who you are. And someone will, from our team will call you. We'd love to talk to you about who that friend is and what the best next step might be for that person. So you're not, you're not signing up. You're not signing your friend up. You're just saying, hey, I think I might have someone who's interested. Or if you yourself are interested, then you can indicate that as well. So just in the spirit of Easter, Easter is a great time to be, uh, to, to, you know, broach the topic with your friends. Like, hey, would you ever want to um, come to church? Would you ever want to hear more about what Christianity is about? Easter is a great time to do that. So just want to tap into the Holy Spirit in, in us that may be uh, driving and pushing us to want to reach out to our friends in that way. And then the other thing is, I just have had a little bit of congestion, so you're going to hear my voice just feels a little bit funny. I took a COVID test. I'm negative, but um, yeah, something's going on with my voice. So I got my, my water. We're good. We'll make this work. All right, so we are in Zechariah, as Sam was able to read that. We're in Zechariah, and we're actually in the section of Zechariah that is unique. It's chapter 7 and 8. And in these two chapters is where we're going to see God give Israel imperatives, meaning he's going to call them to certain kinds of action, 
The whole book of Zechariah from beginning to end is pretty much God making promises to Israel about what he's going to do to restore them and bring them to ultimate victory. But right here in the middle is he says, okay, I need you to be faithful though. You need to respond to all that I am doing. All these huge promises that I am coming, I'm bringing my priest king, I'm going to cleanse you, uh, I'm going to dwell with you. All of that, he says, and here's how you need to be faithful. And so it's something that we want to pay attention to. Because God is reestablishing Israel as his people after exile. And there, the Mosaic law has a lot to say about how Israel ought to live. And so here though, God triages. And he basically says, out of everything that is in the Mosaic law, here is what you need to focus on. Here are the things that you must do. And so it's very important for us to understand God's heart. What does it mean for God's people to be faithful? We've already heard one of those imperatives, which was um, to do justice, right? To care for the widow, to care for the oppressed, to care for the fatherless, okay? Um, <clears throat> and that's actually why Israel was sent into exile, because they didn't do those things. And so today, we're going to hear the other um, focus of God's commands to faithfulness, um, and the reason this is important is because, and we saw this in verse three of chapter eight, we see God say this to Israel. He says, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city. And so what this is saying is where God is present, his people are characterized by faithfulness. If God is with his people, they will be faithful. And so God's people want to really tune in and really hear when God says, this is how I want you to live. Because if God's spirit is here and God's presence is here, that he will be driving us to want to fulfill that. And so God is going to call Israel to faithfulness in this section. He's going to focus it on just a few key things. But there's a barrier. There is one big barrier. This might be the main barrier to our effort to be faithful to God. And the barrier is fear. Fear is the main thing that will prevent God's people who maybe are well-intentioned, maybe they believe in God and want to do what's right. Fear is going to be the barrier that keeps God's people from doing what God calls them to do. And fear is a big deal. Fear is one of the most powerful driving forces of human behavior. I wonder if you've ever experienced the effects of fear. I remember um, I experienced it in a way that just I'll never forget. When I was uh, uh, in high school, I wrestled. I was on the wrestling team. Wrestling is kind of a scary sport because you go one-on-one -on -one with the dude who can really hurt you. And I remember we would do these duels, which meant your your lineup of weight classes would face the lineup of the weight classes of another school. And so anytime you went to a dual tournament, you would look for the kid that was like your size from the other school because you knew that was the one you were going to have to wrestle. You just wanted to see like, okay, can I take that guy, you know. And I remember this one tournament, there was a guy who looked like he was 30 years old, huge, with a mohawk. And uh, 
he was my weight class. Because he was like, I was like 5'8 and skinny. I was 119, 119 pounds. And he was like 5'3 and jacked. And my friends started laughing at me. And they were like, instead of encouraging me, like, dude, you got this. They were like, you're going to get murdered. (laughs) So I became afraid. And needless to say, when I faced him, I got pinned in the first round. Now, as I reflected on that, I actually took him down right away. And so I actually technically may have been able to hang with him a lot longer. But I had already lost in my head. And that fear... Um, prevented me from being able to really uh, go for it with my full strength and my full ability. And so as God calls Israel to this task of rebuilding the temple, he's going to need to address fear. And that is something that we need to um, hear the Spirit address in our hearts is the matter of fear. If we want to be a faithful church to Jesus Christ, then we're going to have to overcome fear. So he's going to call us out of fear. He's going to call us to two things. And then we're going to see the result of that. So the first thing he calls us to, which we saw um, from the reading, is he starts off and he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, that the temple may be built. Fear not, and he repeats it, but let your hands be strong. And so if we're going to build God's church, God's people must not fear, but we are called to be strong. And so the reason why we're talking about this, the reason why this whole series, we've talked a lot about building God's church, because this is what it means for God to dwell among us, is that we must be faithful, and that's how people are going to experience God's presence, is actually through the faithful city. Jerusalem, and that represents us. And so we have to continually drill down into what it means to be faithful. And so it means we must be strong. We have to be strong to, they say, to build the temple. Do it, build it. And we're called to build the church so that people can experience God's faithfulness as they come and are a part of this community. People experience God through his community, through his people in community. That's why part of the focus of Zechariah is actually on the transformation of Jerusalem as a city, as a community of people. This isn't about us individually representing God, as important as that is, but Zechariah is really about collectively, we need to represent God as his body. And so we must be strong. We must be strong together. So this passage... um, It doesn't really unpack what it looks like to be strong, so I'm going to offer a meditation on that. But it unpacks why we can be strong. It spends a lot of time emphasizing why can we be strong. And the big idea is God says you can be strong because you are my people. You are my people, and he wants them to really feel that. He wants the, uh, God wants Israel to really feel what it means that they are his people. And so he says a few things. He, he, he says, this is what it means that you are my people. The first thing he says, he says, you are hearing my voice. You are hearing the voice of the prophets. I am actively speaking to you. I am giving new revelation about what I am doing. I am with you because I am speaking to you. God's people are hearing God's voice. Then he says, 
you are my people because I have saved you. You, I, you were cursed. You were cursed because of your evil. And I had set every man against one another. But now there is a sowing of peace. I will not treat you the way that I treated you before. In other words, he's saying, no longer will I be angry with you. I promise that you will receive blessing from me. I have saved you. I am, I am with you now. And then he says, you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing to the nations. Not only have I saved you, but you are, because of what I'm gonna do through you, all the world is gonna be blessed. That's what it means to be God's people. You will not fail. You will succeed in what I have called you to accomplish, and you will be a blessing. And so this is what we need to hear today as Solano Community Church in El Cerrito, as God's people, we need to hear that he is, we are his people because he is speaking to us. We are hearing his voice through his word every, every day when we open his Bible, every, every week when we discuss it together in small groups. Every time we come to church, God's spirit is speaking to us. We are hearing what God has to say. We can be confident in that. We have been saved. We have been saved from sin and death. You know, we have this interesting phenomenon in, in our, uh, in kind of our, um, the way we experience life. We have this thing called the near-death experience. I, I've never experienced a near-death experience, but a friend of mine did. He, 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 drew, drew, he drove his car off the side of a cliff, flipped over like 12 times, um, and he had a near-death experience. And you know what happened to him and what tends to happen to people who experience that? If they have a renewed sense of gratitude for life. They're, they're like, wow, I can't believe what I have. And, and suddenly life becomes, um, they're more thankful for life. And they also have a renewed sense of purpose. Their sense of, man, I almost died, but I didn't. I probably should have died. Man, I must be here for a reason. So they have a renewed sense of purpose. And so what's interesting to me is that, is that we experience that naturally through a near-death experience. But what God is trying to say, say to us is we actually have what we need, to have, we need to understand is a God's death experience for us. If a near-death experience makes us live with a sense of purpose and gratitude, how much more should we feel that way because of God's death for us? And his actual death for us wasn't even a near death. He actually died for us so that we could be with him. You better believe because we have, he has a purpose for us. He wants us to know him and be with him. And so we can be strong as God's people. Now what does it look like to be strong? This is why we can be strong because we are his people. What does it look like to be strong? I want to give you just this, this passage I think is a good image of being strong. It's always stuck with me. It's from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 10. And this is when, when Saul becomes king. Saul is the first king of Israel. And so God wants to empower him to be strong. And listen to how he talks to him and how he encourages him. And he says, Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, 
Do what your hands find to do, for God is with you. Listen to the license of activity and action that God wants Saul to feel because he has the Holy Spirit, because he is another man. God is saying, if I'm going to enter into you, if I'm going to empower you, go do things. Do what your hands find you to do. Get to work. And so this promise is ours and even stronger now that we have the resurrected Son of God dwelling in us through his Holy Spirit. It did not work out for Saul. Saul was given this kind of license. It didn't even work out for him. But how much more do we have the same license to hear those same words, do what your hands find you to do. I have put my spirit in you. Be strong. Fan into flame. Fear not. Do what your hands find you to do. And so I think that means we need to do three things. If we're, we're going to be strong, the first thing we need to do is we need to be willing to take action. Take action. Take initiative. If we're going to be God's people, we're going to have to do things, start things, try things, get the conversation going, get the ball rolling, raise the question, get people together, share your ideas. So being strong as God's people means we are people who take action. It also means we're going to have to take risks. There's a reason why we don't take action. Generally, the reason is because of fear of failure. We're afraid to make mistakes. We have to overcome this. If we're going to be strong as God's church, we have to feel the license and the empowerment that God gives us to take action, even in the face of risk and failure. Um, uh, Sir Edmund Hillary, he was um, the first one to mount, at least recorded. He was the first one recorded to have um, mounted, or what do you call it, summit Mount Everest, to reach the summit. Listen to what he says. He says, I believe if someone starts out on a challenging activity, completely confident that they're going to succeed, why bother starting? Why bother even doing it? That's a little counterintuitive. If you know for sure you're going to succeed, why even do it? And the blogger, who his comment on that, he says this, if you need certainty to begin, the things you begin will be small. If you need certainty that it's going to work out the way you want it to work out, then what you are trying to accomplish is small. By definition, if it's going to be big and hard and it's going to have risk, and that is exactly where God wants his church. That is exactly what he calls us to. We don't know. Now, now let me just, we know we will ultimately succeed. But faith, faith says, I know I will ultimately succeed even if I don't know how this thing that I'm trying to do will end. I know that if I'm being faithful with the wisdom that God has given me and the empowerment that he's given me right here and now, if I just am faithful with that, God will use that somehow, even though what I'm trying to do may not work out the way I want it to. And so that means to be strong, we're going to have to do things that are scary. We're going to have to do things that we're not sure how it's going to go. And lastly, to be strong, we need to take time. 
this is the idea that it takes time for things to happen. We're going to have to endure. Um, Paul told Timothy, preach the gospel in season and out of season. When I was on staff with crew, when you would lead a ministry, it was a scary thing to do. You didn't know if that ministry was going to succeed or fail. So they used to try to encourage us by saying, God will do less in two years than you would hope and more in 10 years than you could imagine. So to be strong means we'll have to be strong to endure. It's going to take time. That doesn't mean we do it forever. It doesn't mean there's wisdom. Sometimes it takes strength to say, you know what, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I need to stop. I need to try something else. That happens. But at least we need to be strong to put in the effort even through and endure through the hard seasons. So we need to be strong, but you know, we need a little more than that. We need to be strong because there's been a lot of strong leaders in this world who have been evil. A lot of strong leaders, a lot of, a lot of institutions that are strong. We need more than being strong. We must also be faithful to be strong the way God wants us to be strong. And again, listen to how God zeroes in on an aspect of faithfulness. Pay attention. As he's rebuilding Israel, he triages and says, there's a lot I could cover about what you need to do to be faithful. But in the book of Zechariah, he focuses on just one main thing in this passage. Let's listen for it. The, um, verse 6, fear not. These are the things that you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. I wonder if you heard it. What do we have to be strong? We have to be strong and be committed to what? To build God's church, God, to build God's church faithfully. God calls his people not to fear and to be strong, to be committed to the truth. We must be committed to the truth. But not just biblical truth. I think in this passage, it's actually a commitment to truthfulness. We have to be committed to truthfulness. I know plenty of churches that are committed to the Bible, but aren't very honest their leaders aren't very honest. We need a culture of honesty. We need to be committed to truthfulness. In Ephesians, Paul says, put on the belt of truth. But he already said that we need to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So when he says to put on the belt of truth, it's not the word of God, it's the belt of truthfulness. Honesty with one another. That must be the hallmark of a faithful church. And so we need to be faithful in three spheres. First of all, he says, we need to be honest with one another. We have to be honest with each other. Paul says, speak the truth to one another, for we are members of one another. The church should feel this radical commitment to be honest with each other because there is a mutual building up. Our growth 
Our flourishing is dependent on one another. Let's be honest with each other. We love to say in our household, and probably many of you have heard this, reality is our friend. We could be honest. We could be truthful. We must be committed to that. And I think that um, truthfulness means that there's a, we have a willingness to be transparent. We have a willingness to be forthright. And we have a, and to do that with humility. To do that with care and wisdom. And I think speaking the truth with one another also means we are listening truthfully. We have a heart to understand one another in earnest, right? So when someone is speaking to us, especially about hard things, being committed to truth means we're committed to really hearing them on their terms, to really hearing what they're saying to us, to understanding their heart, right? And one of the most painful things that we can go through is when we're trying to share our heart with someone, especially if it's hard, and they maybe through stubbornly and maybe hard-heartedly misunderstand us or worse, misrepresent us. That's painful. The modern colloquial term for that is that's gaslighting. That's what we call gaslighting. When someone is deliberately trying to not understand what you're really trying to say and twisting what you're saying. We need to be a church that's committed to speaking honestly and listening honestly, hearing one another in earnest. So we need to be committed. If we're going to be faithful, we must be strong to be committed to the truth, being honest with one another. And uh, secondly, we need to be honest publicly. We need to be honest with the truth publicly. Listen to what it says. I'll read this again. Put this, see if you can put that back. You may not be able to pick that back up, but it says, um, speak the truth to one another, render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Render in your gates. This is the public sphere of Israel. And so I believe that God is saying we need to be honest as a church publicly. Right? This isn't necessarily referring to the judicial system of our country because we can't control that. We can help influence it by being faithful if we're in the judicial system. We can't control that. But we can control how we handle truth publicly. What I'm, what I'm referring to is when we think about what are our gates? What are the gates of the church? That means that we need to be publicly in the, in like on Sundays when we gather as a church. We need to be honest when we, when we have maybe our members meetings or different areas where we need to share truth publicly. There are times where we need to make judgments and speak things from up front about issues and we need to be upfront about it. We need to be honest about it. So sometimes it'll be about current events in the world or issues within our body we need to be willing to address those things. And the reason why is because it says that um, render judgments that are true and make for peace. So this is, this is a little ironic, but scripture is saying when you want to, when you need to maintain shalom in your, in your church body and in your community, you need to maintain this, you, you know, you, you, I don't know if you heard, but he was talking about that we, we're going to have festivals of joy and feasting. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Did you catch that? 
If you're going to preserve joy and feasting and mutual love and edification in your church body, you need to be, you need to preserve it by being committed to the truth. And at times that means the church will have to make judgments publicly. Um, it, will need to, it will need to say, hey, this is where we stand on this issue. Here's what's going on with this situation. And there's, an, there's a commitment to that. Let me just show you where the New Testament addresses this. It does it a few times, but one really um, important one is in 1 Timothy chapter 5. It says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So sometimes we want to avoid controversy as a church publicly. There's wisdom in that. It's a good, we don't want to like deliberately stir up controversy, but there are times which we can't avoid it. And actually trying to avoid it will make things worse. And Paul gives us a classic example, an important example, and one that when this isn't heated, which it hasn't really been in the church uh, recently as I've been watching the news, when an elder persists in sin, they need to be rebuked. Notice what it says publicly. Do you think that's a hornet's nest? Yes, it is. And Paul's saying you need to step on it. Because a hornet's nest is a lot, uh, is a lot easier to deal with than cancer that's going to kill you. And so, you know, that needs to be handled with wisdom. But again, there are times where the church needs to handle some situations publicly in its gates. It needs to be strong to do that. It needs to be strong. And in the life of the church, there will be times where that will happen. And the last place we need to be honest is in our hearts. Kind of in the secret place of our hearts. And of course, with this one, notice how God, what God attaches to this one, he says, do not devise evil in your hearts and love no false oath, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. That one gets God's condemnation. That one gets God's hate. And I think the reason is because, you know, and, and we tell this to our kids, um, and this is something that we know that you can lie and get away with it. You, you cannot be honest and people won't know but what this passage is saying, God knows, and he hates it. God is seeing what's happening in your heart. And so he's calling us to be diligent when this heart of ours begins to experience bitterness towards people, or maybe we want to manipulate a situation for our advantage. Maybe selfish ambition starts to take over, and so we're not fully honest in our hearts. And maybe we can get away with that, but this passage says, God hates it. He sees it. He hates it. Root it out right in the heart. So we must be strong to be faithful to God. We must be strong to take action. We must be strong to be committed to the truth. Being honest with one another, honest in speaking truthfully, honest in listening truthfully, honest publicly at times. The church will be called to have to be upfront. And, and, and truthful publicly, and of course in our hearts. Now, <clears throat> um, this section ends 
with a powerful vision of the future to inspire Israel to faithfulness. So I want to read it, and hopefully it will inspire us. Verse 20, thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many people and strong nations shall come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. God is telling Israel, there is coming a time where all the world will clamor to have what you have in Jerusalem. They want to get in on the action of what you have because God is with you. They're saying that a Jew is gonna be like Taylor Swift walking through uh, the Berkeley campus. What would happen to her? That's what a Jew is gonna be like. Something's gonna happen that everyone is gonna swarm Israel. God's presence with Israel will be so profound that it's gonna be the apple of the eye of all the nations. And let's put this prophecy in perspective historically for a second. I just want us to remember what's happened. Israel, at this point, half its kingdom has been assimilated into Assyria, it's gone. They weren't exiled, they just were taken over and they assimilated, they're just gone, they're no longer a people. The other half were exiled to Babylon and they kept their identity. That's a small miracle actually. Their city was destroyed. Their capital city, their temple destroyed. And God says, I want you to go back and rebuild it. Actually, Persia told them, go back and rebuild your city. Another small miracle. No conquering nation ever sends a nation to go back to rebuild its capital city. But they did for God's people because God was working. God was in charge of their destiny, not Persia. So they go back and then they build the temple. And you know what happens when they start building it? They start crying. They're like, this is so lame. They see the temple. This is what this whole series is for, this whole book, is they despise the day of small things. They look at that temple and they say, this is pathetic. And God's saying, don't despise this because I'm gonna do something amazing with this. I'm gonna do something you couldn't imagine. And so he's saying to Israel, so Israel, you are a dark horse. Israel is the dark horses of all dark horses. Somehow, Israel is gonna come back from that and be the most famous city in all the world for eternity. How does a city come back from that? How does a city come back from that place of almost being wiped out to rebuilding their city, but when they rebuild it, it's really small and lame to say, no, no, no. You will be the center of the world's attention. And what's amazing is we're living that right now. That has happened. That has come true. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not from Israel. I'm from like Mexico and Spain, a little bit of Northern Europe in there. And let me tell you something, I am desperate 
to hold on to the robe of Paul and to Peter and to Zechariah and say, I want to know the God that you worship. I want to get a little bit more understanding of him. All of us, I don't think many of you are from Israel, and yet here you are, desperate to know more of God, more, know more of the God of Israel. And so here's the message, I think, for us. If God did that through Israel, through the Mosaic law, he brought the Son of God to earth. Through the Mosaic law, he brought his Messiah. What will the Messiah, the risen Messiah, who has given us his Holy Spirit, do through us? That's the message. Look, this happened. This came true. You know, church, we can feel like a dark horse as well. The world does not admire us. We're not the place the world wants to be. Okay, we're not the Oscars. We're not, the Ber- we're not UC Berkeley where you can win fame and glory in academia or sports. We're not big tech where you can make a lot of money and, and you know, uh, psychologically ninja people to click on your uh, product. We're not that. And sometimes we don't admire ourselves. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we weep and we mourn and it feels lame at times. But you know what? How dare we ever give up on the, the God's church? We better not dare do that. If God is telling Israel, don't you give up You be strong. You build that temple. If the church was faithful in that generation and that brought the Messiah, then God is saying, do not give up on the church who I bled and died for, who I rose again and have given my Holy Spirit. Don't give up on that. You be strong, Solano. You build my temple. You build it faithfully and I will bring heaven to earth. Israel brought Messiah. Messiah will bring heaven to earth through the church. Let us be strong. Let me pray. Lord, let us live this out. Lord, I think we have some specific calling from you to be faithful. We've heard so much of the good news of all that you've done for us. All your promises for us. We know that we are your people. You're speaking to us. You died for us. You are empowering us. And Lord, let us not sit on that. Let us be strong and be bold. Let us be willing to take action and take risks for you. And let us be strong, most of all, to be committed to the truth. And as we are faithful to the truth, people, we will preserve joy We will preserve feasting. We will preserve shalom. And the world will come and want to be a part of that. Let us be strong to do the things that you're called us to do. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.